Is Brazil on the brink of civil war? We're seeing military in the streets along with tens of thousands of people protesting the election results after the Bolsonaro-Lula election just a few days ago. Joining me today to break down all of this as well as Elon Musk and a new report about the number of double mastectomy top surgeries that are going on here in the United States is the great Libby Emmons. But first, I want to remind you that America Fest tickets are on sale. Secure yours immediately. Amfest.com slash POSO, promo code POSO. By the way, I want to remind you that if I wasn't clear about this, because I've gotten some comments on it, okay? Promo code POSO is only working for general admission. This does not include VIP. It doesn't include any extras. It doesn't include the add-ons. When we be very clear about that. It's only for the general admission tickets themselves. If you want that special stuff, you want that extra stuff, I know, believe me, I love it. I think it's great. The VIP access is amazing. But the promo code is only for the general admission. So it's December 17th, 20th, Phoenix, Arizona. Go to amfest.com. Utilize promo code POSO for the general admission. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard tonight's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is 11 3rd, 2022, Anno Domini. What you're looking at there are videos, images of the country of Brazil, rocked with protests, rocked with anger over the perceived election issues regarding Bolsonaro and Lula. We're told by the media that Lula has won. This guy, this full-on Great Reset, full-on World Economic Forum, totally in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. He's been in office before. His previous time in office was exemplified with high corruption, which he went to jail for, as a matter of fact. High crime, a terrible economy. And of course, Bolsonaro has seen major, major support in the streets. So the question is, what is going on in Brazil? And could we see a potential civil war in the tropics to make sense of all of this and to go through it with me today? Our guest co-host on human events is the one, the only Libby Emmons. We're bringing her back in from the post millennial. Libby, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jack. So, Libby, why are we not allowed to talk about the results in Brazil? Are we not allowed to question this whatsoever because Twitter won't allow it? And then, you know, obviously we shouldn't because not only did Twitter say we're not allowed to mention this, but Biden about a year ago sent the head of the CIA down to 
the capital of Brazil, to tell Bolsonaro to his face that he wasn't allowed to question the results. So obviously, you know, I mean, if the head of the CIA is saying this, then it must be true. Yeah, it's really interesting that they felt the need to send the head of the CIA down to tell Bolsonaro that so far in advance of the election. It, um, I guess there was a lot of reason to believe that an election so far in the future was already going to be contested before it had even been held. I do find that to be really quite stunning, the timing of that situation. And yeah, we saw Twitter put warning notices up saying that the Brazilian election was perfectly fair and above board. And uh, people hadn't necessarily been questioning that until these warning labels popped up. People were looking at it. There were protests. Um, there were things like that going on. And then suddenly you hear so much protest from the standing regimes of the standing like left leaning regimes that this election was perfectly fair and just. And that certainly causes concern, I think, among anyone who's forming their own opinions and looking around wondering why there's so much uh, protest about that. Well, and it's not just there, too, because we see so Bibi Netanyahu wins in Israel a couple of days ago. And yet you don't see this kind of um, outpouring of support from Western leaders for Netanyahu. Right. If this is just something where, oh, you know, we're going to congratulate the person who won the legitimate election. It's it's actually sort of a uh, a double edged sword, because on one hand, you're saying if our guy wins, then you can't question the results and we're going to congratulate them as soon as possible within minutes mm -hmm. of, you know, this this election being declared in the media. You're just seeing tweets about it. Phone calls are going. But if their guy wins, it's like radio silence completely. Mm hmm. Yeah, that is what happens. As soon as the election results were announced, AOC put out just a one word tweet that says Lula because she is on a first name basis with this gentleman who was accused of corruption and went to prison for it. This is this is who's on her team, I guess. No, I mean, we've seen this, right? So he was the leader of the work, the National Workers Party in Brazil. He's the leader of, uh, of these movements that certainly flirt with full on communism, if not embracing it completely. Um, it, the last article I saw from, you know, one of these communist websites, because, you know, I read the communist websites all the time, well, was they website. were they were upset with Lula during his past terms as president because he was he was uh, following more of the neoliberal at the time. They were saying, calling it, you know, referring him to Tony, Tony Blair, but kind of in that same vein as a Trudeau, as a Biden. But then at the same time, because you're in South America, he's flirting with these communist movements, which we know have gained a foothold there and in there in places like Venezuela and others. So, of course, the question becomes, is he on the brink of turning Brazil over to these communists, to these criminals, to these gangsters. Is that the type of government we're going to see? Well, at the same time, they're controlling the streets. And then you've got the World Economic Forum. You've got the Great Reset, uh, Biden and Trudeau and the rest giving him top cover. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's really insane to watch these things go on in what's essentially the U.S. backyard and to see it be supported by the leaders that are currently in power. Yeah, I'm, it reminds I'm, me a little bit. It reminds me a little bit of the the trucker protests in Canada. And, and I'll explain why, because you saw people in the streets and they were demanding some form of justice 
they were demanding some form of recognition from their government. And at the same time, you had these massive forces, these supernatural, super, excuse me, I should say, supernational, uh, transnational forces coming in to really clamp down on them, tell them to shut up, tell them to go home. It just, it has that feeling to me that we're in a situation where the people of Brazil are being sold out here and that the forces of the Great Reset, the forces of the World Economic Forum, obviously the BRICS nations are playing in on this as well. It's, I pray for them. I just have to say it. I pray for the people of Brazil. So we're talking about all of these conflicts. I'm concerned about them. You're concerned about them. The military conflicts around the world. Let me ask you a question. Are you prepared if the unthinkable happens? Not only that, are you prepared if your car breaks down? You got the kids in the back. What do you do? Do you have a stockpile of emergency food? If not, go right now to MyPatriotSupply.com. Do get a $250 discount off a three-month emergency food kit from MyPatriotSupply, the nation's largest preparedness company. That is right. Save $250 if you act right now. My Patriot Supply wants to help American families be prepared for what's coming. So they rolled back their price to what it was in 2019 before inflation went wild. Their three-month emergency food kit provides an abundance of breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. Be sure to get one kit for each family member. Helps avoid the fights. You will probably need this food very soon. Grab yours today. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order will ship fast and free in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. MyPatriotSupply.com. I do think really, let me add one plus one because I think I said three and then gave two. Media literacy, which is what, um, what we call kind of what you're describing here, is, um, it is it is key. I think the real challenge with um, trying to moderate it as a supply problem here is that we see new platforms coming constantly that are not willing to engage in those conversations. And so dealing on the demand side means that regardless of what the new platform is or what the new technology is or the decentralization of social media, which is you know, kind of beginning but going to continue, we see it quite directly here in the US, is that you create a very resilient public as you note, on any number of issues. Health and pandemics is only one. And so teaching people to understand, here is how information moves today, here is what it looks like, I think just pays dividends in so many different ways and is a, really a global solution regardless of what the specific nuance of a particular emergent platform is. Just emergent platforms, you know, that's Renee DiResta of the Election Integrity Partnership. We love them so much. And the fact that they work directly with the Department of Homeland Security. She's sitting right there, by the way, next to Bill Gates uh, earlier this year. Now, she's someone who was cited by this guy, Yoel Roth, who is the head of Twitter's safety and integrity board, though I have to imagine that Elon's keeping this guy around because he clearly stooged on the bots and the fact that the previous executives of Twitter were completely lying to Elon Musk and the court about it. So Libby, I want to bring you in to discuss the latest with Elon, where I was talking about this yesterday with Darren, that it seemed like Elon was talking to these NGOs again. I think he's got to cut all of them out. But then Elon posted a tweet as well saying, should advertisers support free speech or political correctness? And what's interesting to me is that it seems like what we're seeing here is that Elon realizes it's not so much the Wokies in the company that are the issue. It's not so much the, uh, you know, these, these NGOs outside putting pressure on him. It's the advertisers. He's worried about how to make revenue on this. And he knows that if he goes too far with a lot of it, that the advertisers will leave. 
So what's he been talking about? He's talking about ways to make money off of the platform. And he knows that this $8 subscription fee for the blue check and then opening it up to everybody, it's not just, it's, it's not some ranking system. He's trying to make money because he knows advertisers are going to leave. And by the way, I think it's great because if he's able to make money inherently, right, um, organically off the program, then you don't need all this advertiser money. That'll just be off the top because you're making money from the service itself. I think it's great. I think he needs to stick with it. But what's your take? What's your take on all things Elon and Twitter right now? Well, I think it's really funny that the elite Twitter users on the left primarily are so upset about this $8 potential fee when really they should be rejoicing in it because it is equity. It is equality. It gives access to anyone with $8. You know, that that famous um, comic that they have where it's like, if you stand on this box and the next person stands on this box, and if everyone stands on boxes, everyone can see the game. This is a bunch of boxes. They only cost $8. If you stand on it, everybody can see the game. So I don't know what the elites are so upset about since they've been screaming at us about equity for this whole time. They just don't want to have their thing be equitable with everybody else. So that's interesting. Well, it's also, also that they I mean, I think they just misuse the name, the word equity, right? right. Because equity, of course, <laughs> means means ownership and having a stake in the product, which is basically what Elon's talking about. So you're getting a service. You're paying extra for a premium service. It's like that. It's like those people recently who were saying that it was race or it was Biden. I think Biden actually said that that was racist to um for people to pay extra for extra leg space on an airplane. It's like, well, yeah, everybody knows that that costs extra and it's not, it's not racist, you know, for what you mean, you mean uh, blacks and Hispanics don't know that it costs extra for extra leg room on the flight. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they know that, you know, but it, again, they're just completely misusing words and they're trying to redefine words at the same time. Ec that's what equity means when they say equity, they, what they mean is redistribution. That's what they mean. Yeah. So this makes it open to everyone. Also, I don't think that advertisers really at their core care at all about political correctness or free speech or anything. I think they care about delivering for their shareholders bottom line. And frankly, that is what they should care about. We see so transparently during the month of June, for example, which as everyone knows is Pride Month. And all of these companies go nuts to add extra colors to their logos on Twitter and other social media platforms in the U.S. But if you look at their standings in the Middle East during that same period of time, they keep to the straight and narrow course. They don't upset the, the apple cart. The same thing is true in China. They go along with what China wants them to do. They don't really care about the you know, natural rights of the Chinese or anything like that. So uh, the only reason that advertisers would balk at any changes on Twitter is because they think it's going to upset their bottom line with consumers. And I think that uh, you know, that's really all it's about. So if we can change what's going on socially at large, then those advertisers are not going to worry so much about where they're putting their ad dollars is what I think. And, you know, another thing I like about about it just in general is that he's kind of making Twitter fun again, just the platform. Mm -hmm. It's fun to use because prior to this, there'd been that chilling effect, especially after January 6th, after the banning of Trump, that, you know, you didn't know what you could say. You didn't know what you could uh, not say you couldn't, you didn't know what you couldn't question because suddenly whatever you say or do is going to be run through this crazy filter of saying, you know, can I say that, uh, you know, that a, a trans woman is a biological male or I'm going to wake up and get banned. That 
has been taken away and it's actually okay to be funny. It's okay to argue. It's okay to have dialogue. And I think that's great. I think it's absolutely great. Elon's been on Twitter from the start. He's been on for years. He's been on longer than me, as a matter of fact, on Twitter. And I think it's wonderful that it's starting to be like what Twitter used to be again. Twitter should be fun. Social media should be fun. It is fun. It's fun to connect with people. It's fun to say stuff. It's fun to push the envelope and be edgy and see what you can come up with and what people can respond to. At its best, Twitter is a marketplace of ideas where any idea can go out there and take a spin around and everyone can talk about it. That's what it ought to be. That's the kind of discourse that we need in America. And uh, I think you're right. I think Trump was really fun on Twitter. Trump tweets were a blast. Uh, Obviously. Obviously. My button is bigger than his. I mean, you could you could quote Trump tweets off the top. I could probably quote 10, maybe even more Trump tweets off the top. I have never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. I mean, come on. (laughs) Right. Are we are we like everybody remembers that one? Everybody remembers that one. That being said, I'm looking at some pictures of of Trump lately. He's got this new um, they're doing a Daily Wire, like a dinner video kind of deal. He's looking thin. I guess, you know, here's my theory on that, by the way. You know why Trump is looking thin right now? I'll tell you why. Because there's no McDonald's in Palm Beach. <laughs> He's been oh spending more time down there. But no, it's true. It's true. Go look on Google Maps. And if you've if you've been down there, go check it out. There's no McDonald's in Palm Beach. I think there's one like across the bridge, but it's a little bit further away. He's got he's getting he's eating better. He's eating better down there. He's traveling less. I think he's getting in. I think he's getting in fighting shape. What can I say? Yeah, he's getting his golf games in, you know, nice walks and uh yeah, why not? <laughs> Completely ridiculous. All right, we'll be right back with uh, with Libby Edmonds coming up here. Human Rights Daily continues. What would be the youngest that you would have referred a patient for either of those surgeries? Um, so for for top surgery, um, we have referred um, as young as age fourteen. Is probably sometime between fourteen and fifteen is the youngest. But again, like I said, the majority are happening closer um, to 18, uh, more between 16 to 18. Um, And again, I think it's really important to remember that age is a number, um, but as an adolescent medicine and developmental specialist, we know that um, where a child is cognitively and socially is more important than that um, exact number of their age. So that was the head of the gender unit at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, CHOP, saying age is just a number. And if you're, you know, 14, 15, you know, go ahead and pop you over for some top surgery. That's that's actually meaning a double mastectomy. That's the euphemism they use for it. Libby, one of the stories that you guys just published at Post Millennial was this study that came forward that said over a thousand young girls signed up and received top surgery in a three year period from 2016 to 2019. Can you walk us through this reporting? Yeah, so this was a paper that was out from the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it found that um, 1,114 minor girls in America had their healthy breasts amputated between 2016 and 2019 in service to gender ideology and the fiction that by so doing, they could become male. Um, This is a huge increase. We've seen a huge increase over the past few years of girls seeking to present as male and undergoing these horrific procedures. We've also seen uh, women coming out the other side lamenting the loss of their breasts, lamenting the fact that they will never be able to nurse children should they 
so choose to to have them. So it's actually been pretty shocking to see this. It's also, these, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna ask. So, so these numbers, by the way, it it only goes through 2019. That's really before we've seen this phenomena take off. I mean, I want to say that it really, if you go through 19, 20, 21, 22, I don't think you just see another thousand. I think I think this would potentially double or even triple. Yeah, it's been a massive increase of girls seeking this. And I was actually looking at the website of a Seattle-based plastic surgeon who was saying specifically that um, female to male surgeries of this kind are the most popular surgeries in the uh, you know gender industry right now and that these are the ones that he performs the most. It's also, I think, key to note that um, most of the surgeries are paid for by private insurance. So many of the insurance companies that all of us have for our own medical care are funding this kind of procedure on minor girls. The double mastectomy of healthy breasts in service to a lie is what is being funded by American private insurance companies. And also most of the families with uh, the daughters who undergo this surgery they earn over $82,000 a year. So this is something that is being done to primarily affluent young girls um, and being paid for by all of us who have health insurance and pay into those. And, and, and we've seen numbers, we've, we've seen numbers recently out of Pennsylvania, uh, 17 million in taxpayer funds from the government of Pennsylvania going to support these types of treatments, experiments, really. Libby, why? Why is this happening? Why, Why is this happening Why? in our world, in our country? I think it's just so insane that this is happening. And there are a lot of different theories as to how we got to this place. One is that the feminist movement went so far off the rails in declaring that there was no difference between men and women, that people actually started to believe it and started to undergo medical procedures in order to justify that. We, of course, know that there are huge differences between men and women, and there's absolutely no getting away from that. And it's a blessing that there are, you know, that we're not all exactly the same right. biological sex, because then we'd have no children, etc. So, yeah, there's a lot of theories as to how we got there. I do think that in many ways, women primarily are the ones who go along with this gender ideology. They do so primarily out of a sense of compassion. And I think that that compassion has basically been weaponized against women in the West so that women feel uncomfortable saying that they're opposed to it because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. This is something women are known for, right? This is a stereotypical female characteristic that you are attempting to be more pleasing, attempting to be more acquiescent. And here women essentially are doing that. And our daughters are paying the price fully. And when we hear Nadia Dauschen at CHOP talking about how age is just a number, she's not the only one that is saying this. There's a surgeon in Miami who is... Turned, terms herself Dr. Titus Deletus, and she goes around chopping off the breasts of healthy young girls as well, and then poses with them and teddy bears and their parents as though this is all just great. You also have the World Professional Association for Transgender Health that recently altered their guidelines also to do away with age and instead base it on various stages of puberty. I think that we have to listen to the women who have gone through this who have lost their bodily function, who have lost their reproductive organs, who have lost the ability to nurse their children. 
We have to listen to them and say, just everyone hold off. Don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to your daughters. Don't destroy your grandchildren before they've even had a chance to be conceived. Um, there's absolutely no reason to do this. It's, it's criminal that it's being done. Libby, thank you so much for your work on this, your passion. This is heavy stuff. And for everybody out there, we need to understand that even though it is heavy, we have to face it with open eyes and understand what's actually going on to the children of our country. Libby, I thank you and I bless you for your work. And we, we just have to pray. We have to pray for them. Um, last minute, where can people go get your coordinates? Where can they follow you? I think everybody knows, but let's give it out one more time. I'm at Libby Emmons on Twitter and we're at the Post Millennial every day. You will find stories like that and so many more at the Post Millennial. You go over to humanevents.com. You'll get the op-eds on in terms of that. Look, when we're talking about the issues of freedom of speech, combined with the two issues that we were talking about, so number one, these elections in Brazil, if there are elections in the United States, and then third, this question of what we're doing with our children, irreparable surgery, life-altering, life-changing, cannot be you know, cannot be turned around. We have to have freedom of speech, full freedom of speech in order to discuss these issues, in order to debate these issues, in order to have an actual public dialogue and a public conversation about what's going on and what's happening. You look at abortion, right? You look at abortion for years. We were told that this was a clump of cells and that's all that it was meant to be. If that were enshrined in law and you weren't able to talk about it one way or the other, or if social media were, were didn't let you show uh, ultrasounds, we'd still be where we were and Dobbs would be in place. That's why freedom of speech is so important. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.